Hey, everybody. It's Michelle, and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to chasing the swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guess lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right, everybody. We have an episode today that I think 
honestly, we had to like postpone a couple of times because I may or may not have had, you know, the life change going from like faculty member to like, I want to do 400 different ADD, ADHD things. So there we go. That's what I did. But uh, I am blessed and grateful that uh, Miss Kara Smithwick, M-L-I-S, B.S. and Mary Reeves, M.R.C., and I'm hoping I got the alphabet soups and the names pronounced correctly, um, with Beginnings, South Carolina. Better Beginnings, South, well, Beginnings, South Carolina, but we're talking about Better Beginnings. Um, they hung with me through all of the uh, podcast postponements, and we are here. And if you're in the state of South Carolina, this will immediately change your stars. If you are listening and you're not in the state of South Carolina, uh, take the information and uh, replicate, inspire, advocate, and build. But today we are talking about interprofessional practice for our children that are deaf and hard of hearing and how that advocacy and the dire need that was specifically here in our state, how this organization, this nonprofit, um, was created, founded, and the impact that they're having. I am tickled pink that y'all are here. So, um, ladies, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We're super happy to be invited. Yes. So, um, please introduce yourselves, and then um, I want to hear the backstory on how this baby was birthed. All right. Well, my name is, um, as you said, Kara Smithwick, and I'm the executive director of Beginnings. And Mary Reeves, um, and I am the director of programs. My partner in crime. Well, and I honestly thought for the last several years that Kara was a speech pathologist because I always saw her at the Skisha conferences. And so when we were like setting all the um, Q&A stuff up, I was like, wait, you're not a speech pathologist. So like, that was fun. So so you're not a speech pathologist, and yet you're like, you have this amazing role. So do tell. <laughs> so like, who are you? So, um, I am a teacher of the deaf by trade, um, or by training and by past 20 years. And that's how I ended up meeting um, Mary and how we got our little power show on the road. Uh, I was a teacher and then a lead teacher in a local school district, and we had a deaf and hard of hearing program, and I was in the role of supervising and kind of helping to troubleshoot kids, maybe some difficult situations, attending IEP meetings, and our preschool program at that time had a lot of really challenging kids, and luckily, Mary had started working at the um, Department of Mental Health's Deaf Services. And so she had the background and the training and the sign skills to work with deaf and hard of hearing kids. And so we ended up meeting funny people tried to set us up um, earlier because I am a cancer survivor. And then when Mary was diagnosed with cancer, everybody's like, you got to meet Kara because y'all both, you know, work in the field of deafness and you both were bald. And we're like, um, <laughs> cool. Yes. Well, I mean, really, really. So, you know, we were like, hi, okay. I don't know what else to talk about. So after Mary recovered and um, it was, you know, back to work full time, we started troubleshooting some really challenging kids. 
Um, and it ended up that we would talk inside the classroom and then talk outside the hall and ended up having lunches and brain, brainstorming what we could do differently because once they got to marry and they needed clinical help or once that we were having all that problem, it's really hard to go back and alleviate those problems without identifying the root. Um, so Mary and I started going to lunch together, uh, dinner together, certain planning sessions. Directions to where? Oh, <laughs> Siri, Siri is also assisting. <laughs> Always. Thank you, Siri, but we know where we're going now. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. We know where we're going. Um, so we, mostly, <laughs> we started meeting at like a, like a bread company over um, in West Columbia. We like wore a dent in the seat in that Atlanta yeah, bread company. Yeah, planning and planning and what we, we Wait, first, is that still there? I thought that restaurant closed. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's we something else. You need to wow. switch to Peacewise. Go to Peacewise Cafe. Their cinnamon roll cooler donut thing. Oh, my God. Peacewise, it's over on Casey. Sorry, y'all. If you're not local, well, then you should come visit. <laughs> yeah, so Atlanta Bread Company, we wore down a, the chair, as Mary was saying, um, at Atlanta Bread Company. And we were concerned about kids not having enough language when they got to school. Um, you know, either at three or five or whenever. We were concerned about parents not knowing what to do with their kids. And so the first thing we wanted to do was start a charter school. And then we started looking into that and holy moly, what a beast that was. And so then we were like, it was going to be a charter school. We we're going to have a requirement for parents to have X amount of training. And so then we're like, well, what's better than Christina Yosh- Yoshinaga Atano? Did I say it right? Did. Good job. Um, came to one of the, Eddie or the, the Deaf and Hard of Hearing Summit. Um, and she's a fantastic researcher. And I remember sitting in the audience and she was talking about pragmatic language and how to, you know, how the, how different studies that she did of like the parents who got involved late, but were really involved and looking at all that. And I finally was like, we've got to start preschool. We've got to start this earlier than school age. And so, you know, Mary and I went back to the table and we were like, well, let's do a preschool. We'll do a daycare. We'll do it. Yeah. Like scope and locations. And do you need to have special fire alarm systems? And then the whole thing, we still were like, but we have to teach parents. There was a a family that I was working with at mental health that I would go and do these regular check-ins on this adult. And just to give you a little backstory unlike where we were coming from with that. And the mom, because I shared this care, this story with Kara because it just confounded me. Um, the mom was probably in her 70s. The son was, I think, in his 40s. And um, I watched him one day and she was like, hey, Mary, hi, how are you? And, you know, good, good. Let me ask you a question. When's he going to learn how to drive? Oh. I mean, you know, I, we could, that's the thing we could work on, but that, Typically happens a lot earlier. And she goes, well, Mary, when's he going to learn how to hear? Oh, my gosh. Here we are. He's in his 40s. Like the fact that there was this mom who had a 40-year-old child who never fully understood the impact of his hearing status, what that meant for his language, his ability to do things like drive. And, you know, Kara and I were, were coming back and going, everything we do, we have to figure out how to teach the parents. And then so, parent coaching. Wow. Yeah. And so then we were at Atlanta Bread Company. We were looking. We we're like, all right, what kind of parent programs? And I was like, I don't teach parents. I teach kids. And I'm really good at it. And so we finally looked and we, you know, we spent a lot of those sessions looking, researching online. 
Um, Did Kara mention that she's a librarian? Because we have like <laughs> 77 boxes of research, yes. just in case anybody exactly. needs it. I have it all. <laughs> my, my heart is so happy, and I kind of just want to see a picture. Y'all have to post a picture just about the research pictures, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so we, we sat there, and I will never forget that booth at Atlanta Brand Company, because once we, we finally got to something that spoke that at the right time, it said parents don't need parents don't know what they don't know, and parents that do know don't know how to find the resources. And it was at that moment that I was like, I've been teaching for 16 years, and I wanted to focus all my time on working with the with the children and with the, with my students because that's what that's where my gift was. And I never really, you know, I assumed assumed you know you know whatever that means, but um, that by middle school. Parents knew what they should be doing by then. So I just assumed they were disengaged because they were disengaged. And I think we were like, wow, we, we need to teach parents. How, where do we even start with that? And I think at that point, Mary and I both started pulling up our, like my past students and her caseload. And we could look at all of these parents and look at which ones were stuck in denial, which ones were angry, which ones hadn't even gotten through, you know, the stages of grief even to even get to the point where they could act. And or which ones had shown up to their, you know, seventh IEP meeting where everybody assumed they were very familiar with the PWN. They knew exactly what all those goals were for. What even the IEP meant. Oh yeah. (laughs) And, And all those families who just had never heard it in a way that it stuck and that they understood it. Um, and so that's when we started researching and finding um, programs. Uh, we looked at a Colorado program. We looked at the beginnings in North Carolina and had to, ended up meeting um, the then director of beginnings, North Carolina. And I think she was going to give us a little bit of information, but we the meeting lasted about two hours. And by the end, she was like, well, let's just open up an office in South Carolina. You're like, done. Thank you. Thank you. We're done. And so we we, we <laughs> maybe yeah. had not given her a, a full picture into like how super motivated and um, um, what's the word? I don't know. We were like wacky, really excited. I mean, we're puppies. cancer survivors. Like you, you beat that and you, you just, you're ready to roll all the time. Right. Um, so we came back and we like, <laughs> we got a fax number because we office? definitely needed a fax number. We found an office that another nonprofit was willing to give us. It was so small that our chairs like backed up against one another. You couldn't, we, one of us could not get up at the same time as the other one was trying to get up. Um, I had a baby. It was a hot mess. Um, <laughs> but it was our office. That was my very first speech there. My very first speech therapy room was literally the janitor's closet and it had like mops and brooms in it. And I was a mouthy 23 year old SLPA and I was like, this is not appropriate. You're going to have to find me a classroom. And the principal was like, ah, that's not going to happen. I was like, there's dead bugs in that room and that's not safe. And like, I was like a mouthy 23 year old. So I'm sure it came off with a fair bit more sass than that. But yes, no, I understand. We start where we start and then you grow from there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The next time we got back together with Joni, she was like, well, let's talk about some things. And we're like, hey, here's our business cards. Here's our fax number. Here's the office we have. Okay. What do we do next? (laughs) And she was like, well, let's go. Um, okay. <laughs> so we started rocking and rolling and, and seeing families. And we, um, well, it worked out really well because 
the same time, there had been an audiologist that had moved to work um, at one of the larger centers here. And she had done her training in North Carolina, so she was very, very familiar with beginning. So she actually contacted Joni at the same time and said, Joni, oh my gosh, it's a hot mess for DHH kids here. What can we do? And Joni said, well, just so happens I met these um, two wacky women who are, um, you know, trying to take over the world or South Carolina. And she got us together. And that really, that really worked out well. We were able to kind of start a pilot with a pretty large implant program and, and they were seeing kids. And uh, that also was very interesting because we, I don't know that I've ever been grilled like um, we were. We got to go and talk to the whole, she liked us immediately, but then yeah. she said the rest of the team would like to talk to you. So you know, we drove there and had 20 questions and 90 questions. I don't know. It was, it, we left and we were like, holy cow, we need a drink. Because it was like <laughs> almost two hours of them asking us questions. And we were just like, hold, what do you think we passed? <laughs> Maybe. <What? laughs> I don't know. So, do uh, we even know what we're talking about? I don't know. Right. But we did, uh, and we, did. we passed, and so we started a, like the pilot with that program, and um, you know we started getting the harder kids that were struggling with school or struggling with whatever, and so we would take off work. We were using our grocery budgets literally, like our personal grocery budgets, to, to right. go serve families, right, right, to drive and meet families where they were, and I mean we had to do something so that we could ask for you know to start that process. Um, and make sure that we were doing. So we had to start somewhere, and that was using our grocery budget and driving to see families. And you know, we started seeing an impact. We started people were was shocked. You know, when we had a twelve a mom of a twelve year old who started crying when we talked about how her son was diagnosed and how it wasn't her fault. You know, and you know that her son was born with a hearing loss. And you know, you, you would think again. 12 years old, moms moved past that, but they haven't. And so that was really why we chose beginnings. I was a little against it because I'm not so in touch with my feelings as other people are. But <laughs> Don't say the word share. <laughs> Don't say share. But um, the whole first part of, of the beginnings book that we give to families, um, and it's the same one that North Carolina has, we purchase it from them, um, is all about walking through that grief, that cycle of grief and like acknowledging it. But then um, the newest edition is really, you know, acknowledging all the, the, the cycle of a grief, but then moving right on into action and really focusing on resilience. and healing. Resiliency. Yeah. Resilience. Right. Oh, good word. Right. And so um, very happy that the, the program that we did choose. Um, I'm much better about talking with my feelings. About my, about my feelings, I talk about them with other other parents, and it's good. It really helps kind of address the elephant in the room that that maybe other professionals don't or have the, the time tools and knowledge to do that. To know how to. Tools and knowledge, yeah. parent yeah. counseling and caregiver counseling is an art that is hard. It's not easy to watch a person cry in front of you, you know, and and I think that's. Sometimes that's what our parents need. You know, Lisa that works um, with us, she's one of our parent educators, parent education specialists. She serves our babies. I will hear her on the phone for an hour with a family doing an intake and she's crying sometimes. And, you know, I think there's so much relief for these moms and dads 
to just get to have someone hear their story and validate and say, it was not the glass of wine you had. It was not anything you did wrong. Yes, you had these expectations and that's okay to be sad or afraid or worried, but here's what's going to happen. And here's how amazing it's going to be. Here's the work you're going to have to do, but here's how, and, and that's not easy to do, you know? And it's a, a bit of re- relief to be able to tell the parent that we're with, that we'll stay with them as their coach, quote unquote, until the child's 22. It's nice to be able to follow a family. So I got an overshare moment to put this in perspective so that folks understand the profound impact y'all are having. Uh, what year did you guys form this real quick? What year was Beginnings created? July 2012. Yep. So. Just put that in mind, folks, July 2012. Um, I gave birth October, let's see, Bear was born 2010, 14, 2016, because it's 2022. So, yeah, 10, 16, 14. So two years after you guys had created this um, organization. And he was born hearing. We had labor shot 14 times. We had horrible pregnancy. Um, he came out um, with a symmetrical brachiocephaly, so a flattening of the back of his head. Um, and it was because he was stuck on my pelvic floor after three months of bed rest. He was adventurous from the beginning. Um, he passed his newborn hearing screen um, and subsequently bombed and started getting ear infections when he was five and six months old. They started coinciding when I stopped breastfeeding, but he was a biter and I like uh-huh, my yep, nope. lady parts shaped exactly how they're shaped. But um, <laughs> and I'm not buying the, oh, but they're, they don't know any better. Dude, he made eye contact and scrunched his eyebrows. The kid <laughs> yeah, I, had a, I had two biters. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Bear knew what was up, but um, anywho, I digress. I love my son. Y'all I'm poking but like, no, for real, he knew what he was doing. So, um, anywho, uh, when he was, um, a couple of years old, like I noticed as a speech pathologist, I couldn't see what I couldn't see because it's my child. Right. And he was bombing hearing tests and we had a really bad encounter with an audiologist who perforated his right eardrum when they did, was it an OAE? They put the, um, too, too far in and perforated his eardrum. Blood started dribbling out of his ears. And the ENT doctor said, he's presenting with some behaviors. Has he been tested for the autism? Um, oh. I cannot tell you the levels of inappropriate, antiquated language the man was using, to which my straight up mother bear, y'all, I went backwoods, wide oak, Virginia, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> and we no longer use that ENT and um, the audiologist, and I may or may not have. Um, I it was full blown Michelle Mama Bear glory. Anywho, I digress. We finally got into baby net, and they said because your child is deaf or hard of hearing, they have one choice to go with this one agency, and you're not allowed to go to any of the others. So when you work in the state of early intervention, you know your rights, or you should know your rights. And it turns out that just because you are a parent or a caregiver of a child that has a hearing loss, they're not forced into going to a set organization for services. Right. No, you absolutely have a choice. Yes, absolutely. And oh, did I exercise it and then proceed to tell that woman what she could do with her misinformation and her boss and her boss's boss. And it went up the food chain rather quickly. But I digress. Um, Advocacy, initiatives, go team. 
women empowerment. Um, but I didn't know what y'all did then. And I've learned more since then. So can y'all talk to us about like, when you say coach and you're there, what do you guys, what is it that's being done for these, like in that parameter beyond like parent education, that it's not just like, it's not your fault that this happened. Like, can you talk to us about like, what does the coaching piece mean? Well, we start with a home visit in a family's house. Um, right now we're doing virtual if the family desires because of the COVID. Um, but, you know, it's, it's great to go and be able to sit down on the living room floor or sit at the kitchen table and just say, tell me about your child. And as we are listening to the families, you know, talk about their child, we're, we're jotting notes of things that stand out, ideas that we might have, and really looking at the parent's strengths and the child's strengths so we can help focus with that. But, you know, after we learn all of that, then we have educational materials that can help with that. So it might be a kid um, that uh, I've got a new family. Uh, the child's been diagnosed with Usher syndrome and the, the parents don't know anything about that. And so I'll be bringing materials about Usher syndrome. I'm going to be sharing with the team members um, because they've chosen um, an early intervention program that may not have the expertise in working with deaf and hard of hearing kids. And so I'm, I'm going to work with them. I'm going to talk to the family about their rights, um, what to do. I'm going to help them get, um, they've been waiting for an evaluation at their local school district since October. And she's presenting with some behavior issues. And so the school district says they can't test her. And didn't just did care mention the ushers part and, you know, behavior. Whoa, that would. Right. Uh-huh. And, you know, communication is big. And so helping the families realize that, um, and I just cut you off, but like the, the crux of this is communication. Like if the child doesn't have language, how can they, how are they going to communicate? How are they going to understand what people are saying? And for kids who have a hearing loss, it's not a disability. And I just told somebody who's going to put it on my yesterday when I was presenting to a class that I was going to put this quote on my tombstone that death, being deaf or hard of hearing is not a disability until they don't have access to language and meaningful communication. And then it becomes a disability. So if language was available from day one, there would be no difference. There would The only difference would be how language got in and got out. And there is you know, evidence, numerous kids and adults that we can see that when they had language access, they are not disabled. Right. Um, it's a make- Okay. I just, one quick sidebar. Um, if y'all don't mind messaging me, which specific school district um, wearing that hat, I know most of the lead SLPs locally, and I can gladly um, connect you directly to the point of contact to expedite that if that would be of assistance because all I was going to say was a whole lot of things they would have to edit out right. so like yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. but like are y'all so are y'all technically acting in the role as a service coordinator early interventionist or is it just a free like a free service that's provided it's a, so yeah let me go back just a little bit to like what that initial home visit looks like and and that might clarify some of the stuff too so we're definitely not a direct service provider Quality early intervention is critical. We want to make sure families get connected to that. But a lot of times we have met with families who maybe they get, by the time they get to EI, 
we've had some appointments. They still really don't understand. So, you know, Kara mentioned all the materials we have. We sit down on the floor and here is, and we use the meadow diagram of the ear. Like, do you know where the hearing loss happens? Do you know what the um, tympanic membrane is? Do you know what the ossicles are? Do you know how they function? You really need a concrete understanding of this. Do you understand how to read the audiogram? Because here's a whole bunch of X's and O's. Do you know what they mean? And we really want to make sure parents understand that. And then we talk about from a real tangible understanding of how does language develop. We want them to really understand, you know, that that hearing and language and brain act, that brain development starts at 20 weeks gestation. So what does that mean for your kid? What do you have to do right now so that when they have that meeting with that super important service coordinator, they know what questions to ask. They understand the terms that are being tossed around. And when it comes time to draft an IFSP, they know what to ask for. And they're like, well, maybe really someone coming just every three months to check in is not enough. And I really do want speech therapy right now for my six-month-old because that's best practice. I want to get someone to, needs to teach me how to how to do language for my child. Um, so our you know critical role is to make sure they're connected with quality early intervention and they know what that should look like and they know how to advocate for their for themselves. And the coach part comes in, um, you know, because we don't go weekly. We could go weekly if the families needed that much information. And sometimes it's been a, you know, like a series of home visits back, to, you know, kind of close to each other because the parents are so overwhelmed. But then we we're there by text or email or a phone call when they're like, I just got this from my service coordinator. What does this mean? Um, or, you know, and we get, get a lot of that. Here's a like, here's a picture. What is this? What is this? What do these initials mean? means Right. And so we're just sort of like when the families, I mean, we reach out to our families as well, but you know, when they need assistance, when they need um, support, then they have someone to call and we're not working for a state agency. So our trust level goes up. Um, We're not people who, you know, have to do this and it's free. They're not paying for it. And so, you know, we have, done this successfully for, you know, 10 years now. Yeah. Um, One of the best things I think, and it's funny, I was talking with a, um, a teacher from a school district yesterday and, you know, she's like got the sign bang head here. Um, and remembering back to when Kara and I felt like we just couldn't do anything. You're so just fenced in and you can't make change. You can't really do the things you want. And, you know, one of the best parts about nonprofit life is that if we identify a need and we're creative and hardworking enough to go find a way, we can fill the need. We, you know, and I think that's something that is really fantastic. And that sort of ebbed and flowed as we've moved along in, in 10 years. Um, but honestly, that's, that's, that's what I love about doing this is that this allows only working part-time and this allows me two days to advocate and to record and to put put good out there. So I, I totally understand because I couldn't do that in a structured environment. So, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so basically, we're three women that can't sit well in a box, whether that be our chair scrunched up against a wall and or out of a janitor's closet. Go team! <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah. Uh-huh. We wear uh-huh. those shirts. So. So on our side, as a profession, 
I can tell you that I had more audiology classes in my undergraduate program, but that's because um, it was it was it was a speech language pathology and almost an audiology. Like I almost had equal coursework in audiology oh, wow. in undergrad, which is crazy. Yeah, um, Old Dominion University, great school. Um, but when I pursued my master's. I think I only had like two classes out of the entire graduate experience right. on audiology, right. like hearing sciences. But then what I do in my passion is pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders followed by like AAC incorporation. And for like, um, you know, and so I don't, I don't work a lot with individuals who have hearing loss, but that's just kind of doesn't happen very frequently. Every once in a while I might get caught in to help with like a little one who has um, a cleft and is having difficulty latching to bottle or breast and um, also has, you know, a primary overarching like syndrome that may have hearing loss, but that's, I'm not the speech pathologist treating that. I'll call in. um, Honestly, I send them over to USC because they have um, the phenomenal speech pathologists over there that are trained in LISL um, and ABT therapy. Right. But like, I know enough to know I can't ethically do this. This is outside of my personal scope. Here you go. But there are some extra, excellent generalist therapists out there that go into early intervention or have a private practice or work in the public schools. And they're Jack and Jill's of all trade because the nature of where they work, they kind of have to be. And then on the other side, I also understand that there are SLPs that this is their passion working with children who have um hearing loss or hard of hearing and for this on the mom side of that thank you because that's what's helped my bear right Mm -hmm. um but we cover everything and all the way to end of life care head and neck cancer and the whole nine yards but for those of the speech pathologists that have decided to focus on working with individuals that are deaf and hard of hearing or for those that have to be Jack and Jill's of all trades because um, the nature of where they work. What do you wish that we knew? And I know like, and and please know I saved half the episode just for this. So like go team. <laughs> Let me tap my fingers on the table. Um, the, the step one, step one is um, don't stop just at articulation. Um, it's speech and language therapy, and that encompasses many other components. Um, very often in schools, we run across people who are just doing articulation and the child has a a three-year language gap and I, I don't get what's happening. Um, and I know as a practitioner for many years, if there is a hearing loss, there is going to be a language gap. Find it. Find it. Find it. Find that language gap, period. Because we get 10 to 20,000 words a day, incidentally. And that's what a baby gets and develops. And when you have a hearing loss, you might hear a fifth of that. And it has to be within their listening bubble range. And so, which is why it's probably a fifth. And so you can't tell me that a child has, you know, who's had, a fifth of exposure to language is doing just fine or pasture screening. And 
Um, so there's a hearing loss, find, find the impact. Um, and that might mean language, that might be pragmatics, that might be social emotional skills, um, it, it, many things. And it's going to impact reading, it's going to impact writing, because that's the progression of how language develops. Um, and probably the thing that um, bothers us the most and the thing that's most surprising is the many times and I wish I I wish I didn't have to say this, but the many times that we go and meet kids who are in speech therapy who've never had a hearing test. And the speech oh, and the speech, yes. speech therapists are going, I don't know why they're not miss making the their S bomb. Well, because they have a moderate to severe hearing loss, but you haven't tested that, or we find out later. Um, and you know, we got into beginnings knowing that we were going to work just with professional, I mean, just with parents, and that's what we wanted to do. And um, again, lucky, lucky for us, we're out of the box thinkers, and so we don't just stop with that that one little piece because what we realized was you know there might be 1100 kids with an IEP um at the, at the department of ed but we estimate right now that there're 9232 kids who have not yet been identified the number of kids that are born with a hearing loss is 1 to 2 per 1000 by preschool, it triples. And when you look at all kids with a permanent hearing loss, um, it's nine to 10 per a thousand. That's one in a hundred. And so that permanent hearing loss leaves over 9,000 kids in South Carolina without, without services, without identifying. Maybe they're labeled as um, speech only. Maybe they're um, having behavior problems like this family that I'm going to go see of this little girl. Um, you know, there's the family I'm seeing. Um, next week that has multiple children, all with hearing loss, only one of whom has had been identified until recently, has been receiving speech therapy from someone somewhere. They're all in school. The school doesn't know. Um, and, and we're like, how does that happen? Right. How does Breakdown in communication. As a profession, a profession dedicated to communication, we suck right at holding crucial conversations and communication. Yes, correct. And and honestly, well, in your defense, it's not just your profession. I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot is that there are so many silos. And you know, again, out of box thinkers, we also don't like silos. So we're outside <laughs> of the of the silos, like yelling and screaming, like we have Beating mimosas. Down the door. We've got juice boxes. Come chat with us. Because that's not, that's really just funny. We have juice boxes. And mimosas. <laughs> and mimosas. Yeah, now you got me. All right. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. Talk. If the child has a speech, is, is getting speech services, holy cow, go get their hearing screened. Um, and we've reached out to, branched out to, um, and this is really Mary's big program. We're doing hearing screenings in child care centers. Because Lordy, if you had asked me when we got started <laughs> if I would ever be screening children for hearing loss, I would have laughed you out of the room that we were sitting in. Oh my gosh. No, I had an epiphany. Oh my stars. You need to partner with, are y'all ready? Get your pens ready. I've already got a computer. It. You need to Columbia College, South Carolina State, University of South Carolina, 
Francis Marion University, their um, speech pathology and audiology programs. Yeah. Because if you're doing the hearing screens, you can partner with those programs. Because let me tell you what, graduate student clinicians and undergraduate student clinicians need hours yes. towards their total of 375 or and I am about to for the SLP. lots of hours. I'm actually going to help the Columbia College program um, teach the hearing screening part of their curriculum. And yes. then some of their students are going to come out and help us do some screenings. Um, and so they can get some of those service hours because I'm like the earlier I can make an impact yes. in really understanding. Cause you know, we've screened over 6,000 kids. Um, we just take our little portable QWERTY OAE machine. We go to childcare centers and we just roll through and screen everybody. And we follow the echo. So just in case anybody, you know, has concerns for who's listening, cause I'm not an audiologist. We follow the ECHO initiative, the Early Childhood Hearing Outcomes, um, developed for laypersons. Uh, we do one screening. If they don't pass, we go back in two weeks. We rescreen. If they don't pass, we make a, a medical referral for medical clearance. Um, once we hear back, or sometimes when we don't, we do a third screen and we refer to audiology. Um, you know, I've been working in deafness long enough that if I screen a four-year-old who can't answer my questions and who refers the first time, might just go ahead and do uh, an audiology referral. Um, but we, you know, got a little, a little wiggle room there and we've got some audiologists who consult with us. But if I had a dollar for every time I've gone into a center to rescreen a child who was currently getting speech services and happened to have an opportunity to talk to the person who was providing those services. And, and, and I'm not kidding when I, I, I sometimes I exaggerate, but this is not an exaggeration. <laughs> I've had an opportunity to talk to the provider and say, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm coming to rescreen this child. They haven't passed. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you have, you know, is their hearing been tested if you're providing services? Oh, I don't know. If I had a dollar, I could buy myself at least a couple cups of coffee. Um, but still, I mean, you know, one is more than enough. So I, I think that we continue to see that we're not all on the same page. And I know there are barriers to getting children screened. And, and we recognize that. We've, we've established a program. It's a lending library. We will provide OAE machines and training to anybody who wants to learn. In South Carolina? In South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Woo, thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You said I was going to Hawaii to train people. Well, I'll be back. We might train some people in other countries if they paid our, our flight to, to go there. Cause we, Mexico. We'd love to go back to Mexico. Um, probably getting a little silly. Um, and now I forgot. You laugh, but I'm just saying somebody somewhere is like, but can they help and like give us a how-to guide to yes. replicate this? Because yes, uh-huh. it's necessary. We would love it. Yes. We would love to do it. Um, um, we know that that's what's going to do it. I mean, again, just in South Carolina, 9,232 kids have not been identified. Right. So what are the numbers in the other states, the states and, and other countries? What does that look like? Don't even have newborn hearing screening. Well, and, and let me add in the layer of implicit bias in the medical world. Okay. Oh, because yeah. I work predominantly in, okay. First off, because I have tiny little bees that once upon a time were full C's, but thank you, breastfeeding, they're gone. Um, that means I don't have a brain to go with it, according to some of the um, interprofessional practice partners that I work with, because, you know, women empowerment. But um, also, I currently work at the PD, 
And in the PD, um, sorry, y'all, the PD is um, a section of South Carolina that runs, it's kind of like if you're looking at South Carolina, it's on like the Northeast Triangle of South Carolina and I-95, the interstate runs right through it. That's also known as the corridor of shame. I mean, it is, it is um, a wasteland of destitute. Yep academic learning is and that's not an understatement because our state despite the Abbeville school district lawsuit still has not adequately funded the schools along I95 to the point that some of the buildings are dilapidated tearing down and students are even learning in unsafe work environments much less with textbooks that date back to the 1970s and 80s older than yours truly. Yeah. So, there's nothing like trying to learn English in South Carolina when it's 105 degrees in your classroom. Yes. And this happens in a first world country in our state. So access to medical care, competent medical care. And unfortunately, those school districts tend to have a higher percentage of, um, of minority students. And so I'm going to call a spade a spade and say that we're not going there and doing the child find screens that we're supposed to be doing in part of child find screens for kindergarten. Like, and I'm pretty sure it's a federal mandate includes a hearing screen. But when was the last time that those machines were actually calibrated and tested to ensure their accuracy? When was that last time that the individual rendering it was properly trained? Um, thank you, Dr. Jason Wiggin and Dr. Dakota Sharp for teaching all of us how to do these things in South Carolina. But like, oh, soapbox, sorry. Oh my God, that was a very deep soul. I felt my diaphragm move. You did. You did. I heard it. I heard it. Um, and then actually that was kind of where I was trying to trail and then trailed farther um, with our hearing screening <laughs> and the lending library because, you know, we went to, because we do some educational advocacy for families and we, I think we've been in over half of the school districts at some point, probably more, there's 86 or something. Um, And, you know, after meetings, our our big goal is to have, um, we are part of the team, right? We're not coming there. We're not adversaries. We are there to empower parents. We bring, we share information with teams who might not know about hearing loss. And so quite often we might have a professional call us, you know, after and say, Hey, can you talk to me about this? We're struggling here. And we have talked to child side teams who are like, we understand we should be screening for hearing. There's no audiologist within 90 miles of us. We don't have an audiometer. We don't have X, Y, Z. We tell parents to go do this. They don't. We can't deny services. And so, you know. And it's not even required. I mean, you said you thought it was mandated and I'm trying to cut you off, but mm-hmm. it's it's not required. It's not required by IDEA and it's not required in our state. What? We don't. Correct. It used to be required to have a hearing and vision screen. Now there's and speech, now, language, and voice. Right. And so no, no, it's not even required. And our state doesn't tell districts to do anything. So you know, it's just sort of recommended to do some hearing screens. Um. In wait in schools. Do you do you know Angie Neal, the SLP yes. that is? Yes, um, I've met her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna have a sidebar conversation on that. Right. Okay. Well, cool. and if you do, would you let her know that we have machines that we will give to LEAs 
Um, we have yeah, them. I'm, I'm, and I'll train them. Y'all, y'all keep time. talking and I'm going to keep typing. Folks, this is what happens here on First Bite Advocacy. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah. Can I cut you off? I'm sorry. Well, no, that's okay. No, it's okay. Talking about LEAs and, um, you we, know, we understand that there are people who recognize that it's important and, and want to get there. You know, I think one of the other things that that we frequently see, and I might be taking us off a little ways, is we have a lot of families who are in EMT care. And I think you mentioned this a little bit, Michelle, in your story, um, that there continue to be a number in that field who might only look at the like functioning aspect of the ear and the ear parts and really don't think much after what happens when you get past, I don't know, maybe like to the oval window, like everything from the scapies towards the outside is cool, but, and you know, they're not really thinking about what happens when the child doesn't have access to language. And so we have kids who've seen ENTs for years and years and they've got documentation of lack of access and, you know, we get them in fourth grade and they can't read. Um, and that's a real struggle. And so I think if we have something else that I could implore, that I could beg of, what's my word, Kara? And fill it in if you think about it, of the folks who might be listening is to have conversations with those providers. Like if you are seeing that kind of stuff, have opportunities. When you have opportunities, talk about that. Like maybe they don't fully understand that. Maybe they do. I don't, I don't know. Um, but that, that continues to be a real struggle. I mean, you know. pediatricians in our state are still doing the clap behind the head test to try to identify kids. Um, you know, and yes, and that is, and they don't have the money to do buy an OAE machine um, in some of the smaller practices. We'll also loan you, if you're in a practice <laughs> in South Carolina, we'll loan you a machine. Um, we have machines we want to get to people who can screen children. Right. Because again, 9,232 kids are out there and they need to be identified. It, um, talking about the PD region earlier, we had a, um, a project in that we were part of in Darlington County. And Mary was screening, you know, different groups of kids. And she went to the alternative school and four of the like 16 kids at the alternative school had hearing loss. And, and four out of how many? 16. Was it 16? That's one in four had a hearing loss that I bet was not found previously. I know. Okay. It was more than 16. I'm trying to remember how many kids I went. They don't have a whole lot there. I think I was screening like maybe 30 at a time. Um, but still, this is this is higher than the statistics on average. Oh, right. And it was identified. It was identified, but it was not being supported. So a couple of the children, and I, you know, they were in high school. So I'm like, I'm a counselor. So I'm like, hmm, let's talk about this. Do you think any of this might be contributing to behaviors that led you here? No, ma'am, I don't think so. Huh. I think different, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, and, and I mean, 100%. When and, you're there for a you know, conduct disorder and you have a moderate bilateral hearing loss and you've not had hearing aids on for seven years, my guess is you probably didn't comply with a lot of instructions. And, you know, and one of the children told Mary that he was kicked out of the IEP of, of Santa Teacher of the Deaf because he didn't wear his hearing aids. And that, so that is that is also another practice that, you know, 
<laughs> do something else. I mean, find something. And you still have to provide services, even if they don't wear their hearing aids. Yeah, that that also happens a, more often than we than we'd like. like. Um, yeah, I mean, kids. You know, they're they're smaller humans, but they still have bodily autonomy and the ability to make decisions and. If they won't wear their hearing aids, then maybe we haven't done a good enough job of helping them understand the benefit of them. Or maybe they're painful. Or maybe there's something else going on. Or maybe so, they're programmed wrong. Oh, so good gosh. Things. If y'all aren't listening to, um, nope. I'm not going to plug that. I was going to, I was going to talk about, um, another about Dakota's thing. He's Dakota. Oh my God. No, I've been on Dakota's and Dakota's have been on here. And um, honestly, I may or may not have connected Dakota to Darla with speech therapy PD and was like, Dakota, you have to do this. (laughs) So like, (laughs) he's amazing. Okay. Backstory. Dakota Sharp is audiologist and um, a professor at university of South Carolina. And he was featured in the ASHA leader on his podcast, it's called On the Ear, and it's all about bringing the world of audiology to um, to speech pathologists and to other professionals. And his podcast is also hosted by Speech Therapy PD, available for free on all major podcast platforms. Disclaimer: We are hosted or we're with Speech Therapy PD too, um, speechtherapypd.com too, and um, his also counts for ASHA CEUs. So. Go roll. He's amazing. We love yeah. him. And he's a JMU Duke dog. Woo-hoo! That's one of my alma mater. Okay. Um, his podcasts are great. I mean, again, working in the field of deafness, I'm like, I'm not, I don't have an audiology background, but I've learned a whole lot. And I'm, I learn something new every time I listen. And I listened to a recent episode where he was talking about programming and he was referencing the amount of effort and energy we put into programming children who wear cochlear implants. Every single frequency we're, you know, we're testing everything. And then we have a kid who wears hearing aids and we look at an audiogram and we're like, boop, 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 program it in. Bye-bye. And then we think about all the number of kids, especially middle and high school kids who are like, I am done with these hearing aids. And I can't stop thinking about, is it because they're not doing what we think they're doing? They've, there's, is there any personalized programming of these things? So again, if you encounter a kid who just won't put his hearing aids on, find out why, you know, I, from my behavioral background, I wholeheartedly believe children want to do the right thing. They want to be good. They want to please you. And when they're not, what's up? Something's up. Um, Oh, had a thought and oh. came and went. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> tell it to your banana finger. And you hold up your finger and you tell it to your finger so you don't forget it. Yeah, but we work with, um, I mean, we would be happy to talk to any speech pathologist in the state um, of South Carolina. Um, or it, Mexico. Or Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, when we work with anybody. We will talk to anybody. And we don't have all the answers, but we know how to get the answers or we know how to connect people to other areas because what, you know, we started off just working with families, but that was putting us in a silo. And we've already talked about how much we do not appreciate silos. Um, and so really, you know, one of the foundations is working with the team um, and just sharing this knowledge because it is such a niche bit of knowledge. It's not, not, not everyone yes. has this information. Um, and 
or even knows they need this information. That's that's the biggest most the biggest um, struggle that we have is like we need to talk to people, but we need them to know that they need to be talked to first. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we work with anybody. So troubleshooting allowed some ways to hold conversations on the profound impact of hearing loss. Um, and folks, there's, I mean, as they said at the opening, like this is, this program in South Carolina, this nonprofit is replicated on the one in North Carolina, which means that there's other associations out there that you can partner with or nonprofits that you can partner with. Um, do y'all accept volunteers? Yeah, we haven't had as much of a need for them with during the pandemic. Um, just because our activities have been a little bit different. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, we love to get creative. And so if we have mm -hmm. someone who, you know, it was a mom in the upstate who reached out and she was like, I love to write. Well, we've not been able to really produce the blog post that we'd like to. So help us with content um, and put some things out. And, you know, our focus is language. And if we have people who can help us figure out ways to get, to help our families learn how to bring language to the children, because it's not, it's not inherent. It's not, you know, we talk all day. But you tell a parent all of a sudden you have to talk all day. They're suddenly silent. What do I talk about? What do I do? What if I say it wrong? What if I do it wrong? Um, so, yeah, we're always looking for. Um, we do have an event coming up that we always need actual like on. Yes. Um, the floor volunteers. And we do a back to school bash every year, which is a, a great opportunity. We invite all of our families from around the state. We have vendors from all over. Our families get to see things like a video phone in action. And, you know, some of the. Hearing aid and CI manufacturers will come and set up tables and we get to, you know. Wait, when you say CI, you mean Coke, folks, she means cochlear implants. Yes. Sorry. Thank for you. those that aren't familiar with it. Yes. It's okay. And uh, VP is a video phone. Um, and, you know, we have the, the folks who will come and provide um, free visual doorbells, visual alerting systems. I mean, all kinds of things. And we always need volunteers for that. Awesome. Okay, so back to school bash, and does that happen in like the center part of the state, or is that? Yeah, it's like in the in Midlands, Midlands, right in the middle in Columbia, um, and it's usually in June, July, June. sometimes August. <laughs> what month well, is it in? It's I don't know. at the end of July or beginning of August. Oh, we try okay. to hit before the tax-free weekends come, and before getting back to school is crazy um, hurried. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, we, I mean, we, y'all have a huge event this weekend coming up. So can you take me through, um, what's happening this weekend? Right. Um, whew, putting the final finishing touches on that now. Um, the, it's called wind down with beginnings and it is, uh, at the Rockbridge club over in forest acres, um, which is also in the Midlands of South Carolina. And it is just a fun time. There's wine involved. There's wine involved. <laughs> um, yeah. And this year has been great. We've made this um, a video. And so we're, it's a, the theme is like a Hollywood movie premiere and we're premiering this video, which has, you know, deaf and hard of hearing adults from all who use American sign language, who used huge speech, who use spoken language and, so they've been interviewed and we've got this great video put together um, and we're premiering that on Saturday um, at the event. So dress, you know, it'll be 
come buy tickets, dress to the nines, walk down the red carpet. Buy things uh, at the auction. Buy things at the auction. It's an open bar. Um, I will caveat that with, you know, we have funding for so many of the programs that we do for hearing screenings. But the one thing that we can't yet get anybody to pay us to do is to serve the families. Um, to go do those home visits where we sit on the floor. Over age eight. Over age eight, yes. Um, for, you know, those kids who like to go to an IEP meeting with a 12-year-old who's reading on a second grade level. So Wind Down funds that program. That allows us to support those families and meet that really complex educational needs that, that those families have. So it really makes a big difference. And um, we would love to meet any new folks. Yes. And it's fun. It's, it is really okay. Fun. So you can find more. You can get tickets from uh, at, at our website, uh, which is beginnings at sc. So it's two s's back back um, beginnings sc dot org. Um, and there's a just a banner on the top. You can click and get tickets and find out more information about that. Um, or just browse around our website and see all the great things that we have and all the information we have on our website. Ooh, they might like our language labs that are on our website. Yeah. One of the things that we created were language labs. So we used the now out of print link thesaurus, which has all the words that a child needs to know by age eight um, broken down by categories. And so it might be um, animals and animal homes. And so they've taken that information and we've made broken it down and made a bite-sized piece for families and then provided them some activity ideas. And we've got lots of those um, on our website too, that are able uh, available for free. Mm -hmm. We also That's have a Facebook amazing. page, um, so you can go to our Facebook. It's Beginnings SC. Um, tons of resources. Share our families. Um, you know, upcoming events. If you're looking for what's happening in South Carolina and um, elsewhere, you know, if we find something cool, uh, deaf culture, um, all kinds of stuff on there. We have a TikTok, um, but. We haven't learned the new dances yet. <laughs> you know, there's always the like bad dance. So we haven't learned those yet. So, yeah. No, totally fine. And you guys also have an Instagram page. So, folks, you can find them at all of the easily accessible places. Um, yeah. But this is what y'all are doing is changing kids' lives. So, and their caregivers and, and their caregivers. Yeah. You know, we, I think, kind of get stuck a little bit in the, in the weeds because we're sitting in an office, we're doing all these things and we don't get to see families as much as, as we did and as much as some of our teammates do. But then we go serve a family and we do a home visit and we sit on the floor and we hear a story and we walk a family through this journey and we're like, this, this matters. It, it does. It matters. And I'm thankful we get to do this. Mm. Well, Thank you. Um, thank you. Okay. So folks, um, come check us out because I am for sure going to be there Saturday night. Yay. I just have to convince the Mr. Dawson to go, but like I'm down. Um, so uh, come join us uh, on Saturday and um, be sure you check them out on all of their social media platforms. As always, check us out on uh, First Bite Podcast on Instagram and First Bite on Facebook. Um, we love it when you log into uh, Apple iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Um, and 
Y'all be empowered to not be stuck in a silo. Same is for true for PFD. Um, it's funny that y'all kept saying that because I literally write that into um, my book, Don't Be a Silo Speech Pathologist. These are the tools how to not be a silo speech pathologist. So like, love that y'all went there. Um, but But you can do it. And there are helpers out there. To quote um, Fred, Mr. Rogers, just look for the helpers. Just look for the helpers. So we're here. We're here. Um, <laughs> yes, and I'm. We are better for it. So, ladies, thank you, thank you. Feeding Matters guides system wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So, what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually is, well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website 
as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye.